Hello, everyone. We're back for week five. That's a lie. This has been several weeks in between some of these episodes. Episode it's ep- five. It's episode five. It, I think it might be week eight. I have no yeah. idea. Well, I've lost Maybe. track of time, though, so. Time has become meaningless in 2020 is the one thing I've learned. You know, I, I always felt like I was really good at, a- at answering text messages from people within like an hour or two. Now, like I get a message and like a week goes by and I'm like, wait, crap. Famously in my personal life, I've always been awful at answering text messages. And now I think people think I'm dead. So <laughs> um, on the death note, Christian, what movie are Ooh. we talking about this week? Look at that transition. I'm a professional. You know, I was I was actually really hoping that one of us were going to wrap something into death. So that was that was perfect. <laughs> this week we're talking about Death Note, not the anime, not the live action Japanese version of the movie, but the Netflix version of the movie that came out in 2017, which, as far as I know, was pretty widely panned for not being quite as smart as its Japanese counterpart. So, yeah, yeah. You go ahead. Yeah, no, I I think that, and we'll get into this, but um, uh, this is the first time I've ever taken in any any Death Note of, at all, and it was a manga and an anime and a live action film um, coming out of Japan before this, like you mentioned. I know prior to this, you had taken in some of like the anime and stuff like that, so I'm interested to see where we're coming from. Where when I was doing research on this, it appeared that a lot of the people who didn't like the movie didn't like the movie because it's not true to the source which is beloved and you know by all accounts uh, an incredible piece of of art um so i'm interested to hear a little bit about that um but christian if you don't mind can you start us off explain to us what this death note movie is so the death note it is a film about a guy named white turner he is a high schooler who he finds a book that says Death Note on it. And he learns from a death god named Ryuk that if you write someone's name in the book, that person will die, depending on however you stated they will die. There's a lot more rules to that, but that's the basic premise. We kind of find out what Light decides to do with this power and how it ultimately kind of brings him down and how things unfold. I do want to say that we are speaking about this film specifically. Um, as Connor mentioned, I've seen the original anime. I really, really like it. It's one of my favorites. I consider it probably one of the most influential animes of its time. And this is not that. It's very different, but we're separating the two. Uh, I'm going to do my best to talk about the anime as little as possible, except where necessary. But this is focusing on the movie. Yeah, I think that's best. I do think it is, uh, we'll get to it at some point, necessary to compare it a little bit. So I'm glad to have your perspective um, when it comes to that, because I do think we'll, we'll talk about it later. I don't want to spoil anything, but um, <laughs> but Death Note for anyone who doesn't know, it's a 2017 um, American neo noir supernatural thriller film. Um, it's loosely adapted on the Japanese manga of the same name, which was created by. I'm apologizing to, to these two human beings beforehand for my butchering of their name: Tsugumi Oba and Takashi Obata. Is that semi-correct, Christian? You're the... That sounds about right. Okay, cool. Um, the American version was directed by Adam Wingard, um, famous for a lot of horror films. Um, it was written by Charles and Flaz, Parpola Dines, and Jeremy Slater. Um, the film stars Nat Wolf, Lakeit Stainfield, Margaret Qualley, and Willem Dafoe. Um, like you mentioned, it follows the story of Light, who finds the mysterious book known as the Death Note and can kill anyone whose name is written on its pages. Um, this film had um, an interesting 
path to ending up on Netflix. Um, so, Christian, I don't know if you knew this, but this movie was originally owned by Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers owned the, the rights to the film from 2009. They were given them because they handled the distribution of the Japanese live action film, which you had mentioned. Um, there was a lot of different director changes, a lot of script changes, a lot of turmoil around it. Um, Wingard was eventually tapped to direct in 2016 and uh, 2015, I mean, and given the reins. And then in April 2016, Warner Bros. just decided it wasn't going to make as many movies and let Wingard take the film elsewhere. Uh, what's interesting is it is said that every major studio reached out to him within two days about the movie. And then less than a week later, Netflix agreed to put out the movie. So this was definitely an in-demand uh, IP coming into this. Uh, it was budgeted around $40 million, um, So... Not super big for most movies nowadays, but pretty big for Netflix standards as far as their cost goes. So, Kristen, this was not the first time you saw the movie. So what were your thoughts the first time you saw it and what were your thoughts rewatching it this time? Yeah, so right off the top, I liked this movie both times I've seen it. I had seen the anime pretty shortly before I had seen the movie. Um, so I had, you know, a certain set of expectations going in. But that being said, I still really, really liked it. Since then, I've heard a lot more negative things said by friends and other people's opinions that I respect. But watching it this past time around, I got to say, I still really liked it. What do you think? Yeah, no, I had a similar experience. Like I said, this was the first time I had taken in this movie, any of this uh, IP at all. Um, I thought it was a movie, the premise I really enjoyed. I liked a lot of the stuff about how the movie operated and we'll get into that when we talk about the beauty in a little while um i did feel there were some things that held the movie back it feels sort of like an early draft of what a really good version of this movie could have been um and i think that was where a lot of people got a little frustrated with this um who maybe weren't necessarily tied to the earlier versions of the ip um but to give you an idea of the reception uh, Death Note received pretty mixed reviews. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 39%. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is a 24, which I believe is the first time we've done a movie where the audience has ranked the movie lower than the critics. Metacritic gave it a 43 out of 100 from 14 critic reviews, so it scores a little higher there. I wrote down some of my favorites. Um, so someone from the New York Times wrote that the movie feels rushed and constricted when you compare it to the volume of the source material. Which is understandable. A movie is, you know, I think this movie was uh, around um, hour and 40 minutes or so. And obviously anime and manga can be literally as long as you want them to be. Um, perhaps my favorite, though, is uh, Brian Telerico. I don't care if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Sorry, Brian. From RogerEbert.com gave the film one out of four stars and stated that the changes that Wingard had made from the original work do not serve any artistic or thematic purpose, nor capture the cat and mouse game between Light and L that was core to the original work. Here is an exact quote from his review. The ending will have you switching off your Netflix app in disgust if you don't die of boredom before you get there. Cleo oh. Chang of the New York Republic wrote that director Adam Wingard robbed Death Note of its identity, messing up nearly everything that the original series made so compelling um interesting though oba and obata who are the original creators of death note praised the film saying in a good way it followed and diverged from the original work so the film can be enjoyed of course not only by the fans but by a much larger audience uh, much larger and wider audience uh, which i think is interesting because we're going to talk about it later but 
this movie did make me want to take in a lot more of the Death Note IP than originally I had thought. Um, as far as performance goes, Netflix is infamously difficult with reliable statistics about everything, um, but they are talking about doing a sequel. And one of the producers, Ted Sarandis, did label the film a sizable success back in August 2018. So it remains to be seen if that's something that comes to light. Um, but they do consider the movie, I guess, at least a little bit of a success. Um, so, Christian, I know, have you heard the controversy about the train scene in this film? Uh, I had not until you filled me in it. So do you want me to hit me with a, a fun <laughs> Yeah, fact. yeah, it's interesting. The, the doc says fun facts with a question mark because not a lot of these are fun. <laughs> um, but I think the main one to talk about is that a few months after the release, there was a lot of controversy because it was discovered that the images of a train accident in the movie were real footage of a 2010 train collision that happened in Belgium, which 19 people died. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the victims' families pointed it out. And both the rail operator and the survivors heavily criticized this as obviously being incredibly disrespectful to the victims. I don't know if this, did you see this when we were watching? I might've been writing a note or it might've just happened really fast, but I didn't actually like really process that scene in the movie when I was watching it. You know, I didn't either. I was thinking the same thing when I read that. I, was, I don't remember there being a train prominently featured, maybe I'm, I, I guess there was, according to this, but I both times I never picked up on it. Yeah, I thought maybe afterwards that maybe they cut it um, because of the backlash from future showings and everything like that, but couldn't find anything to confirm that either. Um, some other fun facts uh, was that, well, not exactly fun facts, fun facts, question mark, um, was that this film got a lot of backlash for whitewashing. Um, and in responses, Roy Lee and Dan Lin, who were the producers, stated, quote, our vision for Death Note has always been to introduce the world to this dark and mysterious masterpiece. The talent and diversity represented in our cast, writing and producing teams reflect our belief in staying true to the story's concept of moral relevance, a universal theme that knows no racial boundaries, which is nice to say. But Christian, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, do you feel like there's some whitewashing here? Because going back and doing research on it, it kind of seems like there was. Yeah, without question. Um, it's pretty clearly whitewashed. Um, I think a like really clear example of that is that the main character's name in the anime is Light Yagami. And then here, his name is Light Turner. <laughs> I think a pretty clear, <laughs> like direct line there. Yeah, I mean, there's no whiter last name than Turner besides maybe Smith. Um, and this is the uh, actual fun fact in the bunch, and it's a personal fun fact. The only people I'd ever seen act in anything besides Willem Dafoe before seeing this movie were Shay Wingham, who I saw in True Detective, and Lake at Stanfield, who is an incredible actor from uh, mainly I've known him from Straight Outta Compton and Sorry to Bother You, which if you don't have you seen Sorry to Bother You, because if you haven't, that's a wild movie we're definitely doing on here. Yeah, I, I love that movie a lot. And I think the only problem with Sorry to Bother You is that I think it's like pretty universally liked by critics. Yeah, the problem is, is it's universally a terrible film. <laughs> is, it, is, is it considered a bad movie? It's, it's definitely, really it's definitely it. not, but, um, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, there is a sudden, very strange plot twist <laughs> um, that happens. Yeah, that is... That, 
that is something. we could talk about for for a long time here um but <laughs> with all that being said let's move into the bin um insert sound of a garbage can closing or something in the future christian why don't you start us off um tell us why this movie is terrible so the first and most prominent thing it's kind of the elephant in the room when talking about this movie is that it really deviates from its source material pretty much anytime i've brought this fan this movie up with anyone else who's a fan of the original anime the first thing they say is wow they missed the mark it's just it's just not like the original at all and it's not the original is incredibly intelligent it it feels in my opinion smarter than anything they ever did in house of cards or game of thrones like it seems really 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 logical thought out to the point it's almost kind of scary like how did this guy think of this it's so it's so good. Um, so that is definitely the biggest thing against it. Um, I know you don't need to directly uh, adapt something for it to be just as good. You know, I think like Fight Club is a really good example of that, where the book is quite different than the movie. And I'm pretty sure that Chuck has actually said that he thinks the movie is the better version of that story. Yeah. Um, I had the same sort of idea when I saw that, when you wrote that down in the doc, that that seems like a really good apt comparison. Um, I've also read the book and seen the movie of fight club. And I think it's probably a similar thing where you're telling almost different versions of the same story because you can do it in different ways on these different mediums. I liked this movie actually. Um, but with, even without having seen the anime, I can see that there was a lot of potential that it could have accessed if it was more drawn out, if they had thought more about certain things, if they had committed to a couple ideas that I saw them kind of touch on. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when we talk about a, a long running anime, that's stuff that you could dive into for hours on end that you can't do in a film. Um, and we talked about it at the top, but this film was criticized for feeling rushed and feeling constricted when you compare it to, its original source. And I think that does have something to do with it where you're trying to mash all of these hours and give these characters like a semi realistic representation from the original. And it's just not possible to do in, you know, like a hundred minutes. It's not. And it clearly shows um, death note. I guess, so, you know, it's not a very long anime. I think it's maybe 40 episodes total. Um, but still, comparing that to an hour and a half run time of a yeah, movie that's is still much. That's much still longer. twenty hours compared to barely yeah, over an hour and a half. Exactly. Um, how um, did you feel about but, Light's character? I guess because that was something that stuck with me a little bit. Yeah, Light's character in this movie, I don't think it's good. He just doesn't come off as very smart or bright, which kind of the main thing in the anime, and I think even. This movie wants you to immediately believe that this light is incredibly smart. They build him up saying he's, you know, doing everyone's tests. Um, and then, you know, he's like a really logical thinker and all this stuff. But it doesn't really come across. I kind of felt like he was like a little bit of a goofball the entire movie. Like, this is just kind of a silly dude. I mean, what do no, you No, I thought the same thing. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts before I kind of give my soliloquy on this. Did you think it was more the writing or did you think it was more Nat Wolf's performance? I haven't seen Nat Wolf in, in anything else, so I can't really speak to whether or not I think he's a good actor outside of this. But I think he probably did what he was given. Um, you know, he probably just took, read the script as it was written and took the cues that he was told to take. Uh, and 
this was kind of the result. So I would say probably more on the right end. All right. Yeah. I, I thought kind of similarly. It reminded me um, a little bit, and I'm not sure if you've watched this, but the first season of Iron Fist on Netflix, uh, watching Finn Jones yeah. try to be um, that character and it just not connecting, sort of like a lot of Nat Wolf's emotional acting feels kind of forced like when he's got to yell and he's got to shout and he's got to be this like angsty teenager who's trying to grapple this power it just wasn't believable to me i have a hard time connecting with that emotion um also he just like accepts the book and its powers immediately but then spends the last 70 percent of the movie kind of facing the moral dilemma of what do you do with it um you got to decide if you're like a sociopathic killer or not. I'm on Mia's side with that. You got to, you know, for lack of better phrasing and part of my friend shit or get off the can sort of like he, he, he goes and kills 400 people and then is all of a sudden like, Oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing all of a sudden. So like, you know, but he just doesn't, he doesn't do a great job of convincing me about that. And like, I, I also haven't seen Nat Wolf in a lot. I don't know. I can't really speak to him personally as an actor, if that's a common thing. Like I feel like it was when we talked about uh, Taylor Kitsch last episode, but it just wasn't very captivating to me. And when he's your main character, um, you know, it, it makes it difficult to kind of see past it. You know, you have to see him basically the whole movie. Um, but the other main was Margaret Qualley. What did you kind of think of her performance? Uh, we'll get into this more in the beauty of the film, but I, I liked her. I thought she was good. Um, I don't really have anything negative to say. Her kind of like crazy uh, way she painted her character is a like complete sociopath. Uh, yeah, no, she was great. Um, I did find it interesting, and you also noted this, that she is the only female who gets any shine of all in this movie. Um, and I know, I know you, that's been a common theme of some of those movies, but I wish this movie had varied a little bit, even if it was changing some of the the stuff from the movie to, to make females seem a little more prevalent because she's, to my understanding, literally the only female character I saw with any lines at all. Yeah, I thought that was strange too. It's definitely something that I've been trying to pay more attention to, especially like kind of like it's been happening a lot in the movies we've been watching. It's just a little jarring. I feel like when you're watching a movie and you see only one woman. I mean, I you know, when we're not in quarantine, I go out in the world regularly. And I'll tell you what, I see a lot more than one woman when I go to the grocery store. I don't know why there's only one in Seattle. Yeah, only one woman in Seattle. Um, Something else I didn't like uh, was kind of the way that this movie lays out how the Death Note works. Like they make multiple comments towards it being you know very convoluted and having a lot of different rules and stuff like that but they almost don't explain any of them uh and it kind of makes it a little difficult to understand how some things work like if if light is the holder of the book how did mia write down all of those names in it and it works like is rio actually in charge is light actually in charge how does it like they don't explain any of that and it just kind of makes it confusing and convoluted yeah, I don't. I don't think it works very well uh, in the movie either. I don't. I don't think it's very well explained or laid out. Whereas I feel like in the anime, it's better about it. Uh, it's been a few years since I'm watching, so I don't necessarily remember how accurate the rules were. But it is definitely more understandable. It seems more like a tangible item. Um, I think it's more addressed that Ryuk is kind of working for Light, 
uh, in the Death Note anime versus here, where it kind of seems like Ryuk's behind everything. Um, which I think that's it. That's just like a, it's like a weird depiction of the character, but yeah, I, it doesn't really make sense when you find out later that Mia had written some of the books. The movie has not really said anything as to why that would happen because it's told you that Light's the owner and he needs to transfer it to Mia. So it seems yeah, um, that, yeah, it doesn't make more. a lot of sense, and it, it it kind of makes it seem like Ryuk is in charge and kind of you know just humoring Light to some degree, which isn't how it works. Um, but while we're on Ryuk, I thought that his character, while we'll get into Willem Dafoe being literally perfect for this role, um, he makes a, you know, to use a wrestling word, heel turn here just randomly in the movie. Like he's kind of encouraging Light for a while and then all of a sudden he is trying to take the book away from Light and he's trying to provoke Light to do different things. And, you know, they don't really give us any sort of runway into that. Like you, Like he starts off and he's all for it he's teaching light how to use the book he's showing him the possibilities he's telling him he could do all these quote-unquote great things with it and then we come back you know after a certain amount of time that's you know unspecified later and ryuk is kind of like well you know i'm gonna take the book back let me give it to someone else let me do this look how it's ruining like trying to manipulate light into giving up the book so he can use it for his own intents and purposes which you know might be the idea behind it but it also just seems kind of random when you don't get the story leading into it yeah the transition like you said it doesn't there there is no transition is a problem is that ryuk has definitely seen more sinister in the in the movie i feel like you know i think in the anime he's kind of just like characterized as just like an omnipotent god like what he is whereas here he's like more involved in it um, so yeah, I, I don't feel like it was very no, and that kind of sums up uh, for me how a couple things worked in this movie where it just feels a little disjointed. Um, but while we're talking about Ryuk, that will lead me into our first point in the beauty. So is there anything else in the bin you wanted to cover? No, not really. We can, we Perfect. can move right It's nice when we don't spend the entire podcast trashing the movie. It's almost like we liked this one. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Exactly. I had, I had to think of some <laughs> other stuff that I needed to put down that I didn't like because there was actually more yeah. My notes this for this movie were actually more positive than negative, which was nice. Um, how about you start us off here with the beauty and talk to us about how Willem Dafoe was just beautiful in this role. Willem Dafoe is just beautiful <laughs> in this role. <laughs> he was uh, perfectly picked to play this role. I, I saw that you that you you know your thoughts you might not have liked the design so much, so I had to go. Uh, Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me grab <laughs> images of what no, it actually looks like, and you're gonna. I very much appreciated that because I wrote down the same thing where I thought his performance was great. I thought he was awesome. I think his voice is a little weird for a demon. Like I thought, I thought you know, and that's just you know me not being familiar with the character, maybe. Um, but him explaining like how the death book worked and it just being Willem Dafoe's voice was like a little jarring when you look at what Ryuk looks like. Um, but I wrote down Ryuk kind of looked like if you crossed Pennywise the Dancing Clown with a porcupine. Um, and also, like, his face just looks like Willem Dafoe. Like, it doesn't look like they put a lot of work in. But then you shared with me two images of what he looks like in the manga and what he looks like in the live-action film. And the character actually just looks like Willem Dafoe. It's it's ridiculous. It, it really is. When I first saw 
Willem Dafoe as Ryu. I I swear I thought they didn't even do any work on him. <laughs> no, it really is. Like I remember making a comment during the middle of the movie. I was like, he just he he's Willem Dafoe. Like he doesn't look any different. He just looks like they stuck porcupines on him with some face mic, uh, with some white face paint. And but that's actually just what he looks like. So that's just point casting. It's beautiful casting when you can just throw some paint on him. Um, I personally loved Stanfield's performance in this for a lot of reasons. What did you think about his performance here? I agree. I think he does a really, really great uh, performance as L and he plays, he plays a really, really good L. Um, and I think this was a good way to give, you know, like a role to an African-American actor who's, you know, obviously a Japanese character in the anime. Um, you know, he really got some mannerisms down. I like how, he was sitting up on a table, kind of hunched over. You know, he was constantly eating candy, which is like a big part of like Elle's character. Um, so I thought he really, really nailed it while still being kind of cool and like unique. You know, it was one of those things where I feel like he brought his own energy to the role. Yeah, no, I completely uh, I agree. Liked. A lot of my notes were about little stuff that he did. Like you said, like him sitting on the table in a certain way uh, when he meets Light in the Diner for the first time um the way he just offhandedly says he's been awake for 31 hours while he's eating what appears to be a seven pound bag of candy um like he the way he speaks with like he doesn't use um conjugations a lot he says full sentences and the, the emphasis he puts on words he comes off as really eccentric which is the point but he also is very clearly super sharp um in some ways it's like it comes off as kind of like movie BS, like how sharp he is. But then they backtracked a couple of times to actually like physically explain how he got there. Even if you don't agree with like it being realistic, at least they made it, you know, look like he was doing the work instead of it just being sort of deus ex machina sort of, uh, you know, conclusions he comes to. But I thought he was great in this role. He was the one person who I, I finished watching and was like, damn, he, outperformed what I thought his expectations were. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's almost too good for this movie. <laughs> Speaking of too good, what did you think of the the score in this movie? I this is this is another thing that really worked for me. I didn't really pick up on it the first time, but there was a lot of music in this movie that I really liked. You know, maybe I'm just a sucker for anything that's like neo synth, kind of that like retro retro 1980s vibe. But any music that makes me feel like I'm driving a Ferrari down uh, the streets of Miami in the 80s with like Ray-Bans on, but it's also like 3.30 in the morning, you know, like that. Yeah, no, I wrote down the same thing when there's that chase scene um, right after Watari dies, spoiler alert, and L is pursuing light. Um, There's just this great like neo-synth song, like you were saying in the background, and I, while watching it, was just like bobbing my head along, and it got me super into the 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 scene and it sets such a great tone also and this is going to drive me into a different point but the song choice when mia falls to her death legitimately made me laugh out loud um and there's like an aspect of dark humor to this movie that wingard brings that i thought was just needed in a couple points like especially with some of like the deaths like it was one of those where you like recoil and kind of laugh at just how like graphic and ridiculous it is yeah, I, I I agree. I think that is a very kind of purposely funny thing, too. This actually brings me into, like, another point that I think overall works about this movie um, is that I think it's what I think it's what it's trying to do, how successful it is, is kind of up to you. But I think it's just trying to be like a like a like a black comedy kind of like dark 
comedy movie, something kind of similar to Evil Dead or, or Army of Darkness, for example, some of my favorite movies ever. Um, Adam Wingard, you know, he's not quite at the level of someone like Sam Raimi, but I think that's what he's going for. Um, he also had made the VHS and VHS 2 movies, both films I really like, um, two extremely, extremely fun uh, horror movies. So I, I, I think... Yeah, so I'd actually advantage. only seen the VHS movies last year. That was the first time I'd ever seen them, and they're super, super dated at this point. Um, but there was stuff in this movie that kind of reminded me of that. Like, if you guys don't know, v- the VHS movies are like horror staples. You've got to go see them with the stuff that they do. Um, but that movie is, all, those movies are also very gore filled. Um, and there was a couple, especially like the first killing where they decapitate the school bully. Um, and it's kind of like final destination scene where the, the ladder is heading for his head and it's kind of moving in a little bit of slow motion. And you're trying to decide in your mind, like, is he going to show this guy's head erupt or is he going to cut away and let us imagine? Um, and then they show it and it's like graphic and it explodes on people. And it's something like not a ton of actors or sorry, not a ton of directors would be willing to do in this movie. But Wingard just kind of throws it in throughout the movie. And like I said, it almost provides like a dark comedy sort of thing where where you're so taken back by how ridiculous it was. You laugh at it a little bit, um, which also was a little bit of a reaction I got from Marco Qualley's performance. Um, she plays a excellent sociopath. Um, to the point where I wrote down, like, why is murder making Mark Aquali's character ridiculously horny? Like, it's stuff like that where, like, she did it <laughs> so well that she comes off as a character that was definitely needed for this role because they cast light in more of, like, that sort of troubled, you know, morally ambiguous role. Um, he wasn't as committed to the murders when she was definitely the driving force that he needed. Yeah, I mean, very similar thoughts. I thought her character was really, really good. And like you said, it's definitely needed because Light is kind of the straight man through most of this movie. And she kind of seems like she... I I feel like when she is first introduced, she kind of seems like she might be a little bit more normal. But she also kind of makes a real quick heel turn to being like, no, Light, we should should do this more. Yes, the killing is the right answer. Kira needs... Yeah, I wrote down, I don't know um, if I was Light, if the first thing I would have done when I noticed that I could murder anyone by writing their name down would be to run to essentially what is kind of a stranger at this point um, and be like, look what I can do (laughs) and kill a criminal thousands of miles away. Um, But also on her part, like with the character she ends up playing, she just buys into it and commits so quickly um, and it sets the scene for kind of her slow not even really slow but her descent into what is essentially uh, being the villain of the movies short of Ryuk um, it, it um th- that, that's almost something that I would I would kind of maybe associate with the bin only because it, it felt like a little too convenient that oh it just so happened that he ran and showed this girl like man you got to be pretty freaking confident if you're going to show someone that you have the ability to kill literally anyone that they're not going to be like dude you're going to call 911 right now like it just so happens that he shows her and she is also a sociopath who wants to yeah no i mean that's a great point and that's one of the things where we were talking about it being too congested where it's like if you had given us a little bit of her being a little troublesome or her, them having a sort of relationship beforehand, maybe that works a little better. Um, but it, it just kind of fall, like you were saying, it's just kind of like a really strange move. 
Um, one thing I wanted to kind of touch on before we move into the cell um, was something I liked at the end of it. Is the implication that L is going to kill Light by writing his name on the page? Is that what I'm supposed to take from that? Or is it supposed to be that he stops himself? What was kind of your thoughts on that? I think the implication is that he's supposed to write L's name down, just kind of by the way that scene's characterized where, you know, L's kind of frantically running to do it and get it done really quickly. He seems like he's not thinking. Ryuk is also there, but he's kind of almost mocking uh, Light in that last scene where I felt he was, um, you know, one hair away from looking at Light and being like, Karma's yeah, a bitch. no, I, yeah. and that was kind of what I was hoping you took because that's what I took too. Um, my girlfriend watches this movie with me, and she watches a lot of horror movies, so I thought she was going to like it more. And when I asked her afterwards, she said the ending was unsatisfied because she didn't like Light, and even though Mia died, Light gets to live. And I was like, but that's not how I took it. I took it as Ryuk was coming around that corner because Light did all of this sort of like. You know, Light did the first smart thing he's ever done in the movie, which was figure out how to get himself out of this situation using the loopholes in the book and everything. And then he ends up getting killed anyway as revenge for Watari's death, which he was using to try and kill L. So it kind of backfires on him in like the perfect way. And that was kind of my way of looking at it and being like, all right, so then, you know, does this movie continue when L takes over the book? And now he's sort of you know, he could invest in being Kira from now. So it opened up a lot of doors that I thought were interesting. But my interpretation was that Light died at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt also. I I think he definitely did. I would really like to see a completely L-focused, what does that character do with something like that. I think that would be so much better than this movie too, because of what we were talking about with Stanfield's performance, where I think he's the type of guy where I will be totally invested in everything he's doing. Um, And, you know, Kristen, they are talking about a sequel as of late 2018. So it might be, might be in the cards one of these days. Um, Let's move into the cell. Why is this movie worth watching? Well, I, will say that you know if you're not familiar with the source material or if you are you if you don't have an issue with this not being a direct adaptation you're kind of able to separate the two i think you'll probably enjoy this movie um you know it's sometimes i know even for myself it's kind of hard to like something when you know that the book is different you know i mean this is said all the time about stuff like game of thrones or even harry potter where well you know this is better in the book if you separate them and say, this is this movie, this is the anime, other than having similar themes, they don't have anything else in common, I think you can really appreciate this movie. Or if you like stuff like The Evil Dead or classic 80s horror or maybe even something like uh, Final Des- Destination. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, and like I've, I've said a couple of times, this was my first time ever watching any of this. Um, and I thought it was pretty fun movie. Like there's obviously stuff that doesn't work um, with the congestion of the plot. Um, I think Wolf as the main is a little tough, the, but the support act, the supporting acting is great. And the plot is definitely gives you something to think about with this book. Like, you know, if, if you got this book, like, would you use it differently? Would you use it at all? Um, I'm not sure if you're super familiar with a uh, Chuck Palahniuk books. We mentioned him earlier with fight club, but he wrote a movie. He wrote a book. I'm sorry, called the culling song, uh, which is a tremendous read that everyone should go check out if you have it, but it has a similar plot line where, um, a song, whenever it's thought by the person, 
is able to kill that person, uh, is able to kill someone that that person wants to die. Um, and he uses it purposely a couple times. He uses it in revenge a couple times. He uses it accidentally a couple times. Um, and the book is about kind of wrestling with the morality of having that power. Um, <clears throat> and I'm 100% interested in seeing how that original story worked in Death Note, even though this movie is flawed and you know, isn't the best movie I've ever seen. I count that as a win that I want to go back and watch the anime or read the manga and see that like more developed story. Like you were saying it, it may have only lasted 40 episodes or so, but that's 20 hours. If it's 30 minute episodes that I can dive into the show and see a lot of how these characters evolve and how the plot evolves and how this chase between L and light evolves. And when you make a movie that deviates from the original IP, but catches people's imaginations enough to continue delving into that universe or source material. I think you've accomplished a real goal there. I think so too. Um, you know, it, it, it's always hard to compare something one-to-one -one with something like this. You know, I think so, anime is always very hard to adapt to live action. I feel like because one of the biggest things that's happening in anime is that you're seeing or hearing rather the internal thoughts of the character and you don't question it you see one character thought they have a thought they talk again they have a thought then he goes to the other character that person's thinking so you're seeing all these different things where in film you can't really do that to the same extent it just doesn't work it makes anime hard to adapt as it is um so you know that's kind of being said about the anime but you know on this film, I think for what it's trying to do, I think it, you know, it's overall pretty successful. It's not the most robust game of cat and mouse between it, but it is still there. There were still a couple parts that I do find kind of entertaining, you know, where he's picking up that name Kira and he's purposely saying that, you know, I'm picking this name because it'll be able to throw them off. You know, that's still a fun thing. That's still a good idea. Um, having, like you know the rules specifically laid out in the book even though i don't think it works perfectly i think that's still kind of fun and cues you into how this thing works um and like you said it definitely if it does bring you and make you want to learn more about the source material then you know it's a win it's it's a good thing that's exactly what stuff like this should do is make you want to go back and watch the original material so yeah and i, I think I, I agree like you were mentioning a lot of people came out of this movie were disappointed because it's not the original source material and it deviated a lot and it tried a bunch of different things. Um, but I also think at a certain point, like, like you were saying, if you're going to make a shot for shot remake of any IP, but especially, you know, like a Japanese anime, you're almost setting yourself up for failure to begin with. Like I have never seen an American adaption of a Japanese anime that I've truly enjoyed. Like, I don't know how many of like the Dragon Ball movies you've watched they've come out with, but they're all kind of like comically awful. Um, like anything they try and do like that just ends up not being great. So I appreciate that they they tried to take this source and bring it to us in a way that is a lot more acceptable for a movie and for a different culture. I mean, we're you know American culture is a lot different than Japanese. And I think that if you tried a lot of stuff that they, you know, and again, I haven't seen Death Note, but having watched a lot of anime myself, they try a lot of stuff in anime that I feel like on the mass crowds in America would kind of get like weird looks or groans and stuff like that. 
Um, and being able to bring people this IP and kind of make it, le- I don't know if risky is the right word, but make it more palatable for like the casual fan to ingest is, is a great idea, really. And then, you know, people like me who might really dig into this sort of stuff, then they can go back and see how this all drags out. And you get to see different versions of the same story, like I mentioned with Fight Club. And it ends up being rewarding on both ends. So I think, you know, if, if you approach it with an open mind of being like, all right, let's see where this goes, then, you know, you end up coming away pretty satisfied with what you've got. Like I said, not a perfect movie at all. But I think you have to be a little open-minded about this stuff. And I don't think a lot of people were when this movie came out. I think I, I think that's very, very, very accurate, actually. Um, is that, you know, people had a certain idea going into this movie. And I think that was the biggest knock across it against the board. Because by and large, who were the people that were going to go see this movie when it came out? Fans of the anime, you know? This film, I don't think it was coming out to garner... Um, someone who was brand new to the material stumbling on net on Netflix going, oh man, what's this movie's about? No, this movie was made for the fans of the original series. And what they wanted was a, you know, basically one for one retelling of the, you know, several hours of back and forth between L and Light, which, you know, you just can't do. So of, of course they were disappointed because that's what they wanted. Um, but I think if, you know, like I said, and like you've said, that if you approach this as its own thing, just forget the anime for, for 10 minutes. It's still there. You know, it exists. It'll it'll be there in two hours after you watch this movie. Forget about it for a little while and just approach it like a normal movie, any movie you would watch. Yeah, I and mean, I, I was doing a little research while we were going on here. Just so you know, there is a sequel in the works. Um, and Greg Russo has been tabbed to write it. So I'm excited about that. Greg Russo, if you don't know, uh, wrote the Mortal Kombat thing that's coming out, the Resident Evil reboot, Saints Row, Space Invaders. Um, he's more of like a gaming guy, I guess, kind of getting into movies. Um, but he is also a great screenwriter whose stuff I've enjoyed. So I think that'll be a pretty good movie. I think so, too. I'll I'll definitely check it out. Um you know, it, it'll be significantly different than what they do in the movie, in the uh, anime, for sure. And I think that'll be a really good thing to see what if we took this concept and just really went our own direction. Yeah. Of it. I think that'll definitely work. Um, no, before no, jumping no. into the... Did you have something else? Okay. Um, yeah, before jumping into the final question here, the only thing that, the only thing I other want to say is go watch the anime. Um, you know, to you obviously, um, but to anyone else who may be listening to this, go go watch the anime if you haven't already seen it. It is genuinely really, really great. Um, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. There is a very discernible point in the anime where it might not be as good at, after this point. Um, I'm obviously not going to spoil anything, but as far as I know, and everyone who I have talked to, there is a point that you'll come to where you'll know and you'll think this is what he was talking about and it just will not be as good so even the anime is not perfect after a certain point but after but up to that point yeah i think i think a lot of people forget stuff like that when you think about ip is like at a certain point most ip unless it's like breaking bad or the wire kind of has like a rough patch and gets pretty terrible and then you kind of forget about it and you only remember the positive stuff um so i remember you texting me like like it's great up to a certain point and me thinking that same thing where 
I'm like, I'm going to watch this and then I'm going to reach an episode and go, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment where we take the we take the left turn. You'll know. You, you'll know it because when I was watching it, I had a, a friend set up the same thing to me. They're like, yeah, you'll know when uh, things change. And immediately when it happened, I that's it. That's, you're going to get that same text in probably a couple of weeks. Um, so let's move into this final question that yeah, we exactly. always end our podcast with Christian. Lay it on me. What's the question this week? This week, the question is, if Thanos were to get his hands on the Death Note, would he use it? Pre-Infinity Gauntlet, of course, because All at right, that point, so he I, could just do literally I have one, one additional question to ask you to set some limitations. If he was to use it, is it a one-time use, or does he get to continually use it to kill certain amounts of people? He can use it as much as he wants. Let's say that he's like light. He's like light. He finds the book, and now Ryuk is I think, talking to the Mad Titan. I think he doesn't use it, and this is why. I think Thanos has this like you know the thing that people have wrote the hashtag Thanos was right thing where people think he's like this <laughs> social justice warrior. I guess is a terrible way to put it. He's <laughs> He's doing all this for like the better of the universe and all this, but there's also like a lot of different ways you can positively impact the universe. Thanos is very clearly obsessed with power. Um, That was what he wanted was like, he wanted, you know, the power to go do all this stuff. You could have gone through the universe and wiped out planet after planet for the rest of his life and stuff like that. And you didn't need all six stones but he wanted all six stones. This is a band who was obsessed with having that power to be able to do this. Um, and I think if you give him the death note and he's like kind of in the situation where he's got a partner with Ryuk and he's having like, you know, in this movie, Ryuk is very critical of Light's decisions and stuff like that. I don't think Ryuk would allow him basically to just write down half the universe disappears or half the universe turns to dust and be done with it. Ryuk wanted that sort of like uh, that sort of satisfaction from watching people die. So I don't think they would have gotten along. Um, so I don't think he ends up using it in the long run. Or if he does end up using it, he ends up trying to kill Ryuk. And I don't know if you can kill a death, god of death. Um, so I'm not sure that would have turned out great for him. You know, I agree. You know, kind of when I uh, wrote this question, it was a little just offhand, but I, you know, after thinking about it more, I'm actually glad that you went with that answer because I have to agree with you. I think Thanos would see this as something trivial or almost pretender-ish. Um, I, I could see him being and be like, I got to, I got to work with this guy. Yeah, I'm all right. I don't, I don't want. You're creepy. I don't have apples. You know, just not, not, not wanting to work with him. Um, and I think he would want that power more for himself, like you said, more than anything. He doesn't want to be borrowing Ryuk's power to do the killing he wants Thanos wants to know that he is the one um getting it done so I don't think for that reason he he would uh want to use it either also logistically pretty thin book I don't know how many life forms are in the universe yeah no and I feel like there's some people somewhere where you're in those pages and pages of notes that we never covered where you definitely can't um wipe out half the universe with one right of the pen I feel like there's some sort of bylaw there that would have prevented that but let's let's use the hypothetical theory that he does use it but he only gets to take off one person 
who is it? And I'll allow for the fun of the argument you to consider the whole arc. You know, so Thanos has been handed the Death Note right right around the time of right, right as Tony Stark is gathering the things foaming into his hand. The Death Note falls into Thanos's hand. Who is he taking out other than Tony Stark? Because that's the obvious situation. He would Tony Tony Stark's definitely the obvious one, like you said. Uh, but if not Tony, probably Thor. I would say um, Thor kind of seems like the only one who could like genuinely harm him. Um, so I could see him probably taking him out. I'm trying to think if maybe there is like someone else out there that Thanos would want to get rid of sooner. Maybe. You know, maybe if we're talking about, like, a 2014 Thanos or something, maybe he targets, like, the Grandmaster um, from, like, you know, Doctor Strange. Um, or he takes out, you know, um, Ego. All these, like, extreme... Or, or, or um, Odin, maybe. You know, because, like, one of the big reasons Thanos could even do what he did at that time was because... Grandmaster was dead, Ego was dead, Thor or Odin was dead. All these other beings that could yeah, that's kill a, that him is a good point. Um, I had one answer to me that popped to mind immediately, um, and then <clears throat> as I backtracked through my thoughts, it became a little more apparent why. I think, and I'm allowing for whatever time travel laws to continue to exist in this Marvel universe, um, even though they were all crazy. I think you've got to take out Captain America very early in the plot and why is because tony stark doesn't become tony stark if he doesn't work with captain america so essentially i don't think tony stark's involved in thanos's life pretty much at all if captain america and steve rogers don't convince tony stark essentially to start being a better person i don't think he goes down that path if he doesn't meet Steve Rogers at some point. And I know there's a lot of stuff about Tony Stark's, you know, that's a masterpiece, his arc over there. But I don't think with, I don't think without the influence of Steve Rogers, Tony Stark comes back to the Avengers and that I don't think he ends up in the situation where he's able to do the snap. So I think Thanos probably ends up winning a lot easier that way. If he's able to go back and take out, you know, cap from the beginning. That's actually an incredible point. I completely agree. That really reminds me. Are, are you familiar with the YouTube channel? I've heard of it, um, but I actually have not ingested a lot of it. <clears throat> so they just did a, a video about this exact topic. They did a video on Civil War, and it shows exactly what you're talking about, actually. How Cap, you know, starts out very selfless, wanting to protect his company, protect his country, and eventually he learns to have self-interest tony stark's turn to starts out very selfish and learns to be selfless you know how they both are extremely integral in shaping where their arcs ultimately i go. will actually Definitely go watch, watch. will be what i will do after i get off this uh this call here first is there anything else you'd like to add no, no, this is uh, this is it. I was trying to think of something. Yeah, witty. next time, Stay Christian will be witty be as toes. hell. Um, with that said, it's been great talking to you, my friend. You stay frosty over there. We'll see you next time.